you're seated, we turn then to 1 John chapter 5 for the preaching of God's Word. 1 John chapter 5, the verse we'll consider particularly is verse 13, but for the sake of some context, let us read from verse 10. 1 John 5, from verse 10, and we'll read through verse 13. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. It's particularly that last verse, verse 13, that we consider this evening. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. We continue our series on conversion and the Bible's teaching on this topic. And we come to one aspect of conversion which is much neglected in our day and yet is of tremendous benefit should we come to consider well its truth, namely whether it is that I am converted. These are kinds of questions that we tend to put off. It's not only true in the spiritual realm, though it is the most significant there, it's true in the physical realm as well. Many of us will get a pain and we'll think, well, it could be something significant. It might not be. I don't want to go to the doctor and find out. Certainly there are those who are on the opposite spectrum, end of the spectrum, but many tend to put off these things that could be of great significance. But it's astounding that however that might be of temporal things, physical things, that men, women, and children are prone to put off the weightiest and most significant thing that they'll ever face. Am I, or am I not, converted? What's even more astounding than that is that there are those who in the so-called Reformed faith that ridicule the raising of the question. They say you shouldn't cause God's people to ask, am I converted or not? You shouldn't cause them to consider Am I saved or not? Because you see what happens is this opens up what could be, you know, relatively speaking, Pandora's box. All sorts of evils come out of it. Confusion and concern and anxiety and all of these difficulties that come upon them. And we're after all to be about assurance and help and encouragement. So don't make them entertain the question, am I converted? Just assure them that they are. Well, we have no hesitation in assuring those who are, but here's the problem. How is it we know that someone's converted? 
It's not just by their profession of faith. It's not just by their attendance at church. It's not just by their reading of the Bible. It's not by those things alone. There are evidences, but here's the great difficulty. The evidences are often counterfeited by those which seem close to, but are not the same as the evidence. So you think for a moment, you're told by a friend who gives you an artifact, this is a genuine artifact from the founding of our nation. George Washington had this in his home. You think, well, it looks to my eye to be the genuine article. But you don't then, we trust in common sense, start to think of yourself as having something unless you get it confirmed. Why? Because you know as well as I that there are a tremendous number of counterfeits and simple misunderstandings of what really the thing is. If men take pains to certify temporal possessions, why would we not take pains to certify the everlasting assurance of our salvation? Moreover, it was not a Puritan or later evangelist or modern-day preacher who said, Many shall say unto me, Lord, Lord, and I shall say unto them, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Who was it that said that? The children should know it was Jesus Christ. What's Christ doing? He's challenging the presumption that often is in our hearts to say, Well, there are people who are not assured, and you know, there are people who are deceived. But I'm not going to worry and bother with myself. And Christ says, you need to take this up and consider it. So as we've talked about in general, the nature of saving conversion, we've talked about the cause of saving conversion, we've talked about the saving faith that takes place when one is converted, repentance unto life, and several other things. We turn our attention now to the assurance of saving conversion. We come to a passage that is full of help. Verse 13, 1 John chapter 5. Notice, John says, I've written these things to you for what purpose? That ye may know that ye have eternal life. Assurance is a particular grace that is distinct from saving faith, and yet is a product of saving faith. So we can think of it this way. Saving faith is that direct look to Christ whereby we trust Him. We call upon Him. And yet, assurance is our ability to look out and say, I see that I am looking to Christ. Or it is, saving faith is like our voice shouting out, Lord, save me! And the assurance is to know, yes, I did call upon the Lord. I heard my voice and I knew that He saved me. And so, here is not John saying, I'm writing to you so that you would believe, though we'll see that there is a part of it that is here. His main part is that they would know that they have believed, that they have eternal life. And what's precious here is that when we back up and consider what's going on, what is before us right now is God's Word, which then means that God is 
earnest for us to know whether we're saved or not. In other words, God desires it. So consider then three things to help us with the knowing of whether it is we are converted. Firstly, the knowledge of conversion. Secondly, the evidence of conversion. And thirdly, the faith of the converted. So the knowledge of conversion, the evidence of conversion, and then the faith of the converted. The first may seem to be a simple point, but it's a point that is actually quite necessary. The knowledge of conversion. Notice John says, I've written these things unto you that ye may know. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that ye may have good probability or that ye may think that you are at least in the ballpark. He's saying, I've written these things that you may with certainty know. Now, if you have been in the Protestant church for any length of time, this doesn't surprise you. But here's something to realize. The formal and authorized teaching of Roman Catholicism is assurance of salvation is a delusion. For any commoner to say, I know I'm converted is a presumption by formal Roman Catholic doctrine. The only ones of whom we can say with the utmost of assurance that it is so would be those whom the church has canonized as saints. There is no true, full teaching of assurance of salvation in Roman Catholicism. This is a far cry from what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures assert not only is it possible, but it is good and it is to be pursued. Part of the reason that there is this false teaching is the thought is if I'm assured I'm converted, well, that might lead to all sorts of sin, right? I'm sure I've got it. Well, I'm okay, then I can live however I want. I don't need to worry about obedience. I don't need to worry about the means of grace. If I'm assured I'm I'm converted, well, then I could just give myself with reckless abandonment to all sorts of sin because I'm assured I'm saved. The problem with that is a mistaken notion of what grace does. If I am truly converted and assured that I am converted. Remember what conversion is. It is the real turning to God. It is the real trusting in Him. It is the real repenting from sin. And so if that's real in my life, and I'm assured of it, far from deadening our affections, it actually by God's grace encourages us to live more for Him. So you can see this false teaching and its various tentacles that would rob the true believer from the grace of God. Notice, it's possible to know this. He's written, that ye may know. But it's also that the means of grace, particularly God's Word, includes in it a help for us to know this. So in other words, the Scriptures are given 
to assist us in many things, of course, but this among them. Notice, these things have I written unto you. The Scriptures are given to help believers know, among other things, that they are converted. The means of grace are provision of the Lord for all conveyance of all grace to the believer, including the conveyance of the assurance of the grace of salvation. Now, we acknowledge this in the Scriptures, and implicitly, from this epistle more broadly considered, we realize that there are errors about the knowledge of one's conversion. And it's both ways. One may be in error thinking, well, I'm converted, and they're not. Others may think, I'm not converted, and they are. The point is, the Scriptures help us discern what is true of us. So if I come to you in, see, in, in private, and I ask you, and you feel comfortable sharing it, really, let's get down to the brass tacks of your soul. Are you assured that you're converted? You have one of three possible responses in general. One is to say, yes, I am assured of it. The other is to say, actually, I'm sure I'm not. And the other is to say, I really don't know. Now, there are nuances and different ways that we might emphasize one or the other, but those are the three basic categories. Either I am assured that I'm converted, or I'm assured that I'm not converted, or I just don't know what it is. I'm confused. Now, when we say that, we need to realize this. Simply being assured and saying as much doesn't mean we're converted. And simply saying, I don't think I am, doesn't mean we're not converted. And certainly, if we're confused, it's one or the other. So how do we find out which it is? Well, we have several options to satisfy our conscience. One is to say, well, I hope for the best. That's pretty much the way the world lives, isn't it? The world hopes for the best about the biggest things. I know that I've got sin, but I hope for the best. I'll be okay. We could say, well, the safest route is to say, I must not be converted And so live my life in perpetual doubt. But another option is to take the Word of God as our guide. And to look at what does the Bible say about marks and evidences of grace, as well as things that are no marks or evidence of grace. As well as what are certainly marks that one has no grace. And as we take up those marks, we're able to discern what is true of us. Now, the only way that we can do that is by the light of Scripture. It's not by our feelings. It's not by the counsel of others. There have been elders and even pastors who have given poor counsel. And they'll, out of earnest compassion, will seek to be of help, but they're actually not helping because they're not directing out to the real marks of grace. And they'll say things which are meaningfully helpful, but not in the highest sense. And so, for instance, someone might say, I don't know if I'm converted. And then a pastor comes and says, well, that's a sign that you are. You say, wait a second. No, it's not. Certainly, there are concerns that may happen in conviction of sin in the life of a believer. 
But conviction of sin is no certain sign that one is converted. We've seen that already. We've seen it with Judas. He was earnestly convicted. Esau was tremendously convicted. Simon the magician was convicted. And yet, unconverted. What's the point? If we're going to give marks to others, those marks must be explicitly the marks which God's Word gives, and no other. And so we can't say, well, how many times have you read your Bible? I've read it five times through. Well, you must be converted. Were you baptized? Well, you must be converted. Did you pray a prayer? Yeah, I prayed a prayer. Well, you must be converted. Because here's the problem. None of those is a certain mark of being converted. They may be encouragements. They may take place in the life of a converted person. But the only way of knowing whether it is one is converted or not is by the light of the inspired Word of God. So what's the challenge from this? Abandon trusting your heart. Abandon trusting any other counsel that doesn't come from the Scriptures. Do you know the one thing that has a unanimous and constant message from the Bible that you shouldn't trust? It's the one thing the world says with the highest volume you should. It's your heart. Your heart is the worst witness in anything spiritually. However, of course, the heart can be renewed. And so, by the light of Scripture, our conscience can be more informed. But notice what's happening. When our conscience is rightly informed, it's rightly informed by what? The Scriptures. The Scriptures must be that guide which leads us to know whether it is I'm converted or not. It's not wise to trust anything else. Let me give you an example which may provide some help to you. As a young person, conviction came and in the church I was, it was pray the sinner's prayer. Many of you know that form of prayer or different forms of it. Lord, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for sinners. I trust in Jesus Christ. Forgive my sins. And so on. And right under it says, if you've prayed this prayer, you're converted. Tell somebody. Went to the pastor. Said, listen, I've done this. You gave me this literature. I've prayed it. Well, well done. You're a converted sinner. And now you're going to be baptized. Write it down in your Bible. Three or four years later, I'm not making this up. The pastor then, when conviction came again to me, said, open your Bible. I thought, okay, well, that's good counsel. And he said, open it to the front cover. And I opened to the inside cover, and he said, what does it say? It says, the date on which I was baptized. You're a believer. You've already believed. You're okay. Now, brethren, there are massive layers of confusion in that, all of which have a semblance of some nuance of truth, but none of which is touching the main thing. Here, John is giving us the way to know whether we know Him. And it's by the things contained in the Bible. 
particularly in this epistle, though, of course, the rest of the Bible is useful to the same. Here's the point. The knowledge of conversion is knowledge which the Bible presents to us alone. Secondly, the evidence of conversion. We can limit ourselves to this epistle, even to this chapter, but what you'll find is what John has written is in summary form the teaching of the rest of the Bible as well. What is the evidence that one is converted? There are several things, of course, to emphasize. First is, they have received Christ. Now, really this is only asking then a follow-up question. How do I know if I've received Christ? But let's start there. Notice, for instance, verse 1 of this chapter, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And then it is in verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. Verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now it's true, we may be confused whether I've believed or whether I have the Son of God. But let's start here because here's the foundation. The most basic thing about conversion is I have believed upon the Son of God. It's not I have prayed a prayer. It's not I've been baptized. It's not my name is on the roll of the communicant membership of this church or another church. It's about whether I've believed on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But then we raise the question, what's the evidence of that? We start with the first because we can't miss that. The evidence is, as it were, giving evidence that that has happened. And we need to make sure that we're focused on this point. When one is converted, they believe on the Son of God. They receive the Son of God. They take hold of the Son of God. And they say, He is mine. I abandon every other refuge, every other harbor. I throw it from me and I give myself and I take hold of Jesus Christ. Well, What then is the evidence of it? Notice what John says just in this chapter. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God, there is regeneration, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Notice this connection as you see the different threads pulled together. Our faith overcomes the world. Our faith is evidenced by the love of God. Love of God shows itself in the brass tacks and basic elements of keeping His commandments. Notice that this is often put out of order. Some people would say, if you want to be saved, keep God's commandments. If you want to be justified, keep God's commandments. But the actual thing is, no, to be converted is to trust in Jesus Christ. But all they who trust in Jesus Christ will then be led to love God and keep His commandments. John has labored much in this epistle. We don't have time to survey all that is before us. But notice how John says it so repeatedly, so basically, again and again and again. 
1 John chapter 1, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, with God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. He carries on, and he testifies in verse 4 of chapter 2. He that saith, I know Him, keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But notice what precedes and follows that verse, 1 John 2, 3 and 5. Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Notice very clearly that it doesn't say hereby we come to know Him. It's not that at all. It's not the pathway unto God. But rather, It is the way we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. It's the evidence which follows conversion. When one is converted, they will increasingly love God and keep His commandments. Verse 5, Whoso keepeth His word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are what? In Him. There's the evidence. The evidence is that loving obedience which follows conversion. This is important for two reasons. It is the evidence, not the cause. It is the fruit. It's not the root. It is what follows after, not what precedes. True obedience, loving obedience, that is more than just white-knuckled, forced obedience, outward righteousness, but obedience of loving God, loving our neighbor, keeping His commandments, flows from one who has been converted. And brethren, it couldn't be any other way. Because by nature, we're dead in our sins. Our hearts are stone, they're cold, they're frozen. But by conversion, as we consider, there's regeneration. God takes the heart of stone out, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, and He places a heart of flesh in. By that, He doesn't mean a carnal and sinful heart, but a living heart. Flesh is in biological reference. He's putting in a living heart. He's removing the dead heart out. And so, once that happens, notice on that heart, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 again, He writes His law on it. Have you ever thought of that language and that imagery? Writing His law on His heart? We hear of people who say, you know, I need remembrance. I need memory. So I'm going to get a bracelet with the Scripture on it. I'm going to you know, get uh, words and put them on my wall. Certainly we're fine with these kinds of tactics. But here's the fundamental need that God would write His law on your heart. Because what's being said there is He changes our hearts. What is our heart the seed of? The seed of love. What God's saying is He makes our hearts to love His law. And then when we hear that language, you cannot but remember what the psalmist says. That the psalmist loves His law. Christ delighted in God's law. Paul says, I delight in the law of God after the inner man. 
what's being said? There's a heart that's turned to God. And so when that's the case, then it will be the case that increasingly there will be increased conformity to God's law. Now, brethren, understand this. This makes sense because in our rebellion and sin, we're turned away from God. We're running from God. By God's grace and conversion, He turns us to Himself so that we want to know God, listen with God, learn from God. We become those who see the one thing needful and sit ourselves before Christ to learn of Him and to be taught of His Word, His commandments, His will, His law, because we long to walk with Him. Christ says, Come unto Me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It's good. That's needed. That needs to be emphasized. But He also says in that same breath, Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He's saying, Become My disciple. Follow Me. Conversion necessarily leads to the walking with God in Christ. Thus, the evidence is obedience, but what kind? Whose commandments? Whose laws? God's. Verse 2 of 1 John 5, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. It's His commandments that are not grievous. It's His commandments that we keep. Verse 3. It's not the commandments that are invented by men. Don't eat meat on Fridays. Observe these holy days. These are where true piety is found. Do these things and so on. Here's the thing. Every single invented commandment of man is actually easy to keep. Do you know that? It's easy to go get ashes put on your forehead. It's easy to abstain from eating certain foods. It's easy to do all of that. Here's what requires radical, root-reaching grace. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. That's something that is a divine commandment necessitating divine grace. Only a converted man can do that. Here's something that men can do. You know, on the Sabbath day, make sure you don't take this many steps. Okay, there might be prudence and wisdom in that. Here's something that requires grace. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Set it apart so that your own words and works and desires are set aside. Okay. But that your heart is filled with earnest desire, delighting in God. It's easy to abstain, isn't it? It's easy to do certain things, isn't it? It is impossible apart from God's grace to delight and call the Sabbath a delight. You see, the point is, when we get down to what the evidence is, it's not obedience to that church or this church or this man or that man. It's not that monastery's regulations, but look how Discipline they were. Okay, discipline. If you want discipline, I can take you to any false religion and show you disciplined men and women. Discipline in mere outward things is not an evidence of grace. 
but I can only take you to a converted person and show you one who not only outwardly, but with evidence delights in doing the same of what God commands. So let's be clear in what the evidence is. It's the things that are recorded in God's Word. It's not an earthly pilgrimage. It's not the number of books in your library. It's not how many times you've read the Bible. It's not your daily reading plan. It is loving God, which shows itself in keeping His commandments. There's more that can be said, but we trust that the point is clear. This leads us then to, thirdly, the faith of the converted. Perhaps in the reading of this verse, you're struck with a question, why is John writing to those that believe on the name of the Son of God at the end of that verse, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Doesn't that sound striking? Be like me saying, I'm speaking to you that sit, so that you would sit. And say, I don't understand what the purpose of your speaking is then. Well, the reason that he says it this way is because he's addressing those who do believe but may not have assurance. And the fruit of it, once they know is that they would, if we were to translate it according to sort of the nuance of the word, would keep believing on the name. In other words, it fortifies faith. It strengthens faith. You know, so soon in the territorial expansion of any nation, a first stick is planted in the ground. No nation is content with that stick. What do they do? They build walls. They fortify it. They build it up. You think of the city of Jerusalem itself. You can look in your Bible maps if you have such in the back of your Bible and you'll see, well, this was Jerusalem in the very early days of the conquest. This was it at you know, Solomon's reign. This was it in the, in the days of Jesus. And you see different walls that were added at different times. What's happening? It's being built up. Is it changing the city? No. It's strengthening the city. That's what's going on here. God is giving us this word for believers that once they discern, I am a believer, their faith would be fortified, strengthened, and they themselves would enjoy greater encouragement and blessing. One reason that Satan so militates against the assurance of faith and salvation for the believer is he knows that once one gains true assurance they are strengthened and matured under greater Christian diligence and obedience. But notice what the faith of the converted is. It is a fixation upon the Son of God. John can hardly mention faith without mentioning Jesus Christ in various ways. These things have I written unto you that believe, I can't say that, that believe on the name the revelation of the Son of God. And I've written them that ye may believe. Oh, I can't stop there. That ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. What is the faith of the converted? It is a fixation upon Jesus Christ. A trusting upon Him and what's revealed about Him. Remember, the word name in the Scripture is oftentimes a shorthand for saying what's revealed of Him. 
So when God descended to Moses and declared His name, He didn't just keep saying over and over, Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah. He said, Jehovah, Jehovah God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and mercy, and so on. What's He doing? He's revealing Himself. Now notice, you can see evidence of this in chapter 5. When He says, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is, is the Christ. That what's revealed of Jesus as the Messiah is true. And then you can see it again when it testifies that in verse 5, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Those two verses alone are showing us that true and saving faith receives what the Bible tells us of Jesus Christ. So here's one thing to say. Every so-called Christian that dares say anything like, well, the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God, but we believe that He was just an ordinary man who was extraordinary in His gifting and teaching ability. Whatever they have, they don't have faith in Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is so abundantly clear that He is the Son of God. They say, well, you know, we believe that Jesus is a way to salvation, but there are many ways to salvation. They don't believe Jesus Christ. Why? Because His Word is so abundantly clear that neither is there salvation in any other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ alone. What is revealed about Jesus Christ, saving faith embraces and says, though I don't have all the philosophical answers, though I don't have every answer to all of your cavils and objections and your witty little clever remarks, I believe and I am contented to rest my soul upon what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. I said it before, there was an older Scottish woman and Jehovah's Witnesses, if I'm not mistaken, going door to door as they do in our nation. And the knock came, she opened the door, and they launch into their whole testimony about their religion and Jehovah's Witnesses and all these things. And, and at the end of all of their spiel, she says to them, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Close the door. There was no apologetics learning there, though we don't decry apologetics. We need that. She simply asserted that what you're saying is not what the Bible says. And what went on from that point in one of the two is that statement gripped the soul of that Jehovah's Witness. And that Jehovah's Witness couldn't shake the simple answer that what we believe is not what the Bible says. And over time, by God's grace, one of those Jehovah's Witnesses was converted. But what was the simple adherence of the woman who asserted as much It's what the Bible says. That's what I believe. Come with your books if you want. Come with all of these other things. But it's what the Bible says about Jesus that is fundamental to my salvation. Brethren, this again is important for us. Paul says, the Scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures tell us about Christ and the faith of the converted will ever be fixed fully upon Him. Now this is why the converted Christian loves to learn. 
Because they love to learn more about Christ. I want to know more about Him. This is why the converted Christian reads the Bible. They want to know more about His will, about His history, about His works, about His person, about His glory, about all of these promises and commandments. They want to know more about Christ. This is why wise Christians don't just ask, well, do you read the Bible? Well, we start there, don't we? Because if they don't read the Bible, there's a problem. But then they say, yep, I've got my daily Bible reading plan. Every morning I get up at this time, I'm sitting down and reading the Bible going on. And the wise Christian says, why are you doing it? And sometimes it stops someone in their tracks and say, well, we're supposed to read the Bible. Well, sure you're supposed to. But what are you doing it for? And with help and guidance, Lord willing, if the person's converted, it's discovered that the reason they're doing it is not merely to satisfy a disciplined lifestyle and checking off the list of I've done what's right, but I want to know Christ. That's why. You see, when we want to know Christ, then it is we become disciplined about those things. The husband that says to his wife, well, I really want to spend time with you. But weeks pass and months pass and there's never so much as an hour spent exclusively with his wife. Whatever he is, is not real in his statement. Because if he wanted to spend time with his wife, he surely would mark out an hour to be with his wife. And if he wanted that relationship to grow, he would gladly set aside other things to prioritize his wife. Well, surely the same is true for every converted person whose faith is fixed upon Christ. I read God's Word, not because my parents tell me, though that's a help. I read God's Word, not because there are helpful strategies, though that's a help. I read God's Word ultimately because I want to know Christ. But notice, the faith of the converted not only fixes upon Christ, but it continues and strengthens in its fixation that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I mentioned last week that an elder is asked regularly, when was the last time you repented? Of course, initially when you hear that question, like, well, what is he asking? But the point is that if you're a Christian, you should be able to say, I'm at work by God's grace still repenting. The life of the Christian is a life in this world of repentance. Well, it could be asked to you, when have you believed on Jesus Christ? Now, praise God that many of you can say, you know, back these days, these years, that's when God brought me to faith. But if you're converted, you should add to that And I continue trusting in Jesus Christ. He is my only hope right now. And this is actually a tremendously pastoral help to our souls. When we lose sight of assurance, and one of the reasons we may do so is we say, I don't know if I was actually converted when I first professed faith. It may be true. You may not have been. But the real question to ask is, are you believing Christ right now? Because a converted person will be trusting Christ right now. Instead of getting lost in the uncertainty of what I did or didn't do 10, 15, 20, 40 years ago, the real question to ask is this, am I right now trusting Christ as my Savior? 
Because that answer is of the most pressing. A converted person may be able to say, I with certainty know on that date in history, written down on the front of my Bible, was the day God brought me to faith. And praise God if that's the case. But there are many who can't. But they can by God's grace be brought to say, I don't know when it began. I don't know if it was then or this morning. But I know this, that my only hope is in Jesus Christ. A dear friend once said, if we wake up in the middle of the day and we look outside and we see the sun shining, we don't have to know with any exactitude what time the sun came up. We're simply assured that the sun is out and sometime or another it rose. Well, the same is true with saving faith. We don't have to know when it began. We simply need to know that it is. And the things written are that we would continue believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, brethren, much more can and will in due time be said about assurance, but let's leave it here and ask these questions. And may I press upon you specifically, do you know that you are converted? Let's be very clear in what's being asked. I'm not asking, do you know that you prayed a prayer? I'm not asking, do you know that you are baptized? I'm not asking, do you know that you think, you hope that you are? I'm asking, do you have real assurance that you're converted? You may say yes, and I would simply ask you, how do you know? Is it that you know by the light of Scripture that thus shows evidence in your life? Is it that you have evidence of the Spirit testifying of this peace and confirming the same by these evidences? Or is it that you're merely hoping? Because if you're merely hoping, you're playing a game of spiritual roulette that could indeed at the trigger's pull be your eternal demise. So if it is that you're unsure, why would you not pour over the Scripture, particularly this epistle, and ask the question, if He's written these things that we may know that we have eternal life, are the things He's written as marks of that evident in my life? And I'm not going to satisfy myself by saying, I sure hope so. I'm only going to receive those marks as they come and are evident in my life. Because that's the only safe and sure way. Some of you may be able to say, and praise God this is so, yes, and by God's grace, though not perfectly, I see these things increasing in me. And I rejoice in God for that. Continue thanking Him for it. And may it encourage you to continue looking to Christ. But notice whether we aren't assured or whether we are assured, what is it that comes out in the end to be the same counsel to both? If you aren't assured, what do you need to do? You need to look to Jesus Christ. If you are assured, what do you need to do? You need to look to Jesus Christ. Brethren, Christ is the one and same answer for both. 
For the only way to gain assurance is fundamentally to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and by His grace see that continued work in you. And if it is that you are assured, then notice that assurance is given to you that you would continue believing, looking, receiving, and resting upon Jesus Christ. Oh, brethren, friends, whatever the case of your own soul, Here is the divine guidance. Look and trust in the name of the Son of God. Would you stand with me for prayer?